This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com. This means war. That's all, folks. And so you might be wondering to yourself, how in the world does uh, that have anything to do with my marriage? Well, this, this is why I, I put this in here. Sometimes I think we need to declare war on whatever the enemy is trying to do to destroy us or to ruin our families or our marriages. Um, if you've been going here for any length of time at all, you know that I have told you many times that I believe that there are times that we need to get a a warrior spirit about us when it comes to our faith. If, if the devil has declared war on your marriage, you need to fight back. You need to get a warrior spirit about you that says, I am not going to let the enemy destroy my family and destroy my marriage. I want you to know that there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in declaring the, the, the blessings and favor of God upon your family, the healing of the Lord upon your family. There is power in that. And you need to, to, you need to fight back against the enemy. And I, I know some of you are thinking, well, I don't want to fight. I don't want to declare war on the enemy, you know, on, on Satan, because that'll make me a target. But this is what I want to leave with you. 1 John 4, 4, the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit, that's talking about Satan, the devil, and his demons who live in the world. We have a power that comes from the Holy Spirit. So today, we're going to wrap up this little mini-series that we've been doing, what we've called Fix It, where we've been talking about fixing our relationships. And we're going to be talking today about fighting for your marriage. This means war. We're going to fight for our marriage. What do you think causes more marriage conflict and fights than anything else? Well, according to a Harris poll of over a thousand adults, money is the number one reason couples fight. I had an individual say to me after the first service, well, it's just people who have little money who have problems with with fighting over money because they, people who have a lot of money don't fight over it. I said, that's not true. People, even with a lot of money, uh, that money can become almost like a god to them and it can cause all kinds of conflict within the family. And so there's misappropriation of that money. I mean, there's a whole lot of reasons why money, whether you've got little or whether you've got a lot, can really affect your marriage. So what do you fight about in your marriage? I've had couples, I've shared this with you, 
I've had couples that have told me, well, we've been married so many years, we've never even had a fight. And I've wondered to myself, well, do you guys even talk? <laughs> you know, I mean, because how in the world can two different genders live together and, and never have a disagreement or see things differently and, and no capability of, of conflict? That's just not real. If, I mean, two guys can oftentimes have conflict. Two ladies can oftentimes have conflict. And let alone a guy and a, and a woman together, they, they can have conflict together. And so the, the reality is that we are going to have conflict in, in our marriages. Uh, in fact, in all human relationships, there is going to be conflict. And there are a number of reasons for that conflict, but I think one of the main reasons for the conflict that we see in a lot of families and in a lot of marriages has to do with fear. We're, we're afraid of someone getting control over us, getting control over the decision, that we create a fear environment whereby we, we don't want somebody else to get uh, control and, and one-upsmanship up, over us. We want to have control. And so there is a fear. What are they trying to pull? What are they up to? And this comes into the minds of people. So, you know, but, but thinking about fear, I was reading the other day about a young couple who decided to get married. And as, as the big day drew near, they both grew very nervous because each of them had a problem that they had never shared with anyone, not even with each other. And so, the groom-to-be, he decided that he would talk to his father and try to get some advice about it. He said, Dad, I'm concerned about the success of my marriage going forward. I, I love my fiancé very much, but truth is I have really smelly feet. And, and I'm afraid that my wife might leave me over this, you know? And so his father said, Oh, son, I understand. No problem. All you have to do is wash your feet as often as possible and always wear socks, clean socks, even to bed. Well, to him, this seemed doable, and so uh, the wedding was still on, you know. Well, the, the bride-to-be decided she was going to take her problem up with her mother, and she said, Mom, when I wake up in the morning, I, my breath is absolutely, truly awful, and her mother said, well, everyone has bad breath in the morning, but, but, but the bride-to-be, she said, no, no, you don't understand. My morning breath is so bad, I'm afraid that if my, my new husband uh, were, to, were to smell it, he would not want to sleep in the same room with me again. And so her mother said to her, well, well try this. In the mornings, get straight out of bed before he does, and head for the bathroom and, and brush your teeth first thing. But the key is, don't say a word before you brush your teeth. Not, not one word until you get your teeth brushed. And she thought, well, I can do that. I can get up before him and I can brush my teeth. And so everything went well. They, they had a wonderful marriage ceremony and, and they remembered, you know, the advice that they had received, he about his socks and her about her morning silence, you know. And they manage quite well until about six months later. Shortly before dawn this one morning, the husband woke up terrified, startled to find that one of his socks had come off his foot during the night. 
and he was so fearful that his wife might want to leave him, he frantically tried to search under the covers in the bed for the sock and get it back on his foot. And this, of course, woke up his bride, and without thinking, she immediately asked him, what on earth are you doing? To which he said, oh no, you've swallowed my sock. <laughs> now that's a true story. That, that's Carrie and me right there. We just uh, shared a bit about our life. Now I have to tell you, that is such a corny joke that I vacillated back and forth. Do I tell them this? Or This is such a long way to go for such a stupid joke, you know, and everything, but I obviously did it. Anyway, so for what it's worth, there you are. But getting back to this issue money, you know, and the fear that surrounds that, clearly half of the people that were surveyed in this 1,000 people survey I talked about a moment ago, they said that they argue mostly about how they spend their money, how much they spend, probably differences between her and him or him and her on what needs to be bought and how much money needs to be. And so they, they argue mostly about their spending. And then a, a clear third of them said that their arguments were mostly about insufficient savings. They weren't saving any money. And, and, and the interesting things, the, these weren't uh, innocent little spats between one another either. In fact, one study from the National Marriage Project found that couples, get this, who fight about money just once a week were more than a third more likely to divorce than those who had fewer fights. If you, if you fight about money just once a week or more, you are a third more likely to end up with a divorce than those who do not fight that frequently or perhaps at all. But I was thinking about it. To me, the problem really isn't money. That's just the symptom. The problem really is how you handle conflict and how you handle disagreements. Because the truth is you're going to have conflict and disagreements in marriages. And if your marriage is going to last for a lifetime, you have got to get that warrior spirit about you that says, I am going to fight for my marriage. And to whatever spirit from hell that is coming against you, you as a spirit-filled believer need to say, this means war. I am not giving up. I am fighting for my marriage and not fighting in my marriage. So why do you suppose there's so much conflict in many marriages? Well, I think one of the reasons in today's world is because, of the, whole, is because the whole idea of marriage and family are under attack today. And, um, and I'm not just talking about from the Supreme Court. I'm talking about out of hell itself, which means that Satan is right there in the middle of these conflicts of these arguments, doing his best to divide you, doing his best to use this to tear you apart, creating the environment of fighting in your marriage, which most of us know way too much about. But we have got to learn to change and to start fighting for our marriages. So why is it important that you fight for your marriage? I wanna offer three ideas to you. Number one, because marriage is God's idea in the first place. 
Maybe you're thinking to yourself that some government started this several thousand years ago, this idea called marriage. That's not true. God, when he created Adam and Eve, he created the family together, and he defines what a marriage is, and he defines what a family is, not society, not the world, not pop culture. God created this whole idea of marriage and family, and as believers in Christ, we need to learn to fight for what God has established, what God has created. And one way we do that is by keeping our marriage covenants and vows and maintaining strength in the midst of our diversity between husband and wife. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 9, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Now this scripture is telling us that we are not to separate what God has put together. If God put it together, we don't have the right to define the terms at which or by which it can be tore apart. If God defined it, if God created it, only he is the one to lay down the standard, to set the standard upon which the marriage is built or, the, or, or upon which the marriage might be dissolved. And this is what I'm saying to you. A, a divorce might be a legal thing according to man's laws, according to society, and yet it may not be right in the eyes of God. God expects his people to practice their commitment to one another and to remain true to that commitment. In fact, just a little above here in verses uh, six through eight, Jesus said, God made them male and female from the beginning of creation, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. From my opinion, too many people view divorce as an easy way out, and they don't realize the seriousness of the vows that they made, not only to one another, but to God Almighty when they committed themselves in in a marriage relationship. I shared with you last week that one of the things that's developed over the last 10 to 15 years in surveys with with newly married people is that most couples getting married in today's world no longer expect to stay married throughout their lifetime. In other words, they believe that this marriage will dissolve at some point down the road. Well, if you're going into it believing it's not gonna last, what are the chances that it's gonna last? What are the chances that you're gonna give the effort to the commitment that you make. But what we need to understand is when we make these commitments, we're not making them just to one another. This ring on my finger reminds me, every time I look at it, of a commitment I made to her. And the ring on her finger reminds her of the commitment that she made to me. And we don't violate that, but the greater commitment is to God Almighty who witnessed our vows and and put his seal of approval upon it and now he says, you don't, you don't uh, set the terms by which this marriage uh, grows and prospers or dissolves. I set those terms. Now, I want to be real careful with you this morning. I'm not trying to put guilt on anyone here today. But what I am trying to do is help you to understand that marriage and the family are God's idea. In fact, they are his creation. He wrote the book 
on marriage and the family. So it's not up to us to make what we might call our own conditions about what is acceptable or unacceptable in a marriage. That's up to God. It's what does his word have to say. So as followers of Christ, we are to glorify him in our individual lives as well as glorify him in our marriages, our married lives. And one way we do that is to accept God's standard of marriage and family and live by that. We don't make our own rules. He makes the rules. Our culture today has come up with all kinds of what we consider uh, valid reasons, reasonable grounds, however you want to put it, for going against God's word on the area of, in the area of marriage. We, we talked about that last week to some degree. I talked about, well, some people feel like it's justifiable to, to divorce, uh, even as believers, be, because we argue too much in our family. And so instead of dealing with the arguing issue, they, they feel like the only resort is, is to uh, split apart. Or some say, well, we don't have the same goals in life anymore. We've, we've grown apart, so, so we need to get a divorce. Or we don't love each other anymore, so, so let's just end this. But God says that none of those reasons are grounds for separation. Now, I will tell you there are biblical grounds for divorce. I'm not going to get into that today. I don't have time. But those kinds of reasons are not the reasons that God says divorce is acceptable. And in my opinion, it has become far too easy to separate on a whim today. Now, I also know, and this is why this is a little difficult, that divorce is a part of the pain that some of you have experienced in your past. I know that that is true in in this audience. And maybe you're feeling to yourself, Pastor Jim's kind of beaten up on me a little bit today. He's attacking my past. And I want you to know that is not my intent. This is my point. Whatever has happened to you in your past is under the blood of Jesus, and it's cleansed and it's forgiven. That is not you anymore. You are a new person. Hallelujah. Yeah, give him praise. The point of what I'm trying to bring to you today is that you need to learn to fight for the marriage that you are in right now. The past is forgiven. Where are you right now? If you're not careful, you repeat the past. We want you to have strength in your marriage, the one that you have right now. God wants your marriage to be an example, the marriage you have now, of his grace and his strength blending your lives together and making you a stronger uh, individual because of of the blending together of your lives. You know, people around all of us need to see that Jesus is making a difference in our lives. He's making a difference in our marriages. He's making a difference in our family so that, that it becomes a testimony that he can make a difference in their lives and in their marriages too. The greatest witness we do for Christ comes out of the example we set in our marriages. It's more powerful than what this church does. And it's, it's more powerful than setting up a big crusade downtown to try to get everybody to come in and get saved. The, the greatest long-term impact of, for, for, the, for the Lord and for people getting saved is for them to see the legitimacy of what Christ can do in, in, the life, in their lives because of what he sees Jesus doing, because of what they see Jesus doing in your life and in your marriage. So I want to encourage you today, fight for your marriage. Again, Jesus said in verse number nine, 
Let no one split apart what God has joined together. So if God has put you together, you need to fight for it, all right? The second thought I want to give you. Marriage was given by God as a gift to us to enhance us, to make us better people. Proverbs 18 and verse number 22 says, the man who finds a wife finds a treasure and he receives favor from the Lord. Every wife in this, in this room ought to memorize that one. Put it on the mirror in the morning. Make sure he reads it. <laughs> Every man who finds a wife finds a treasure. Amen, ladies? All right. Well, some of you aren't convinced yourself, you know, so <laughs> maybe you know yourself better than, than I do. So in other words, what he's saying here is that marriage was given by God as a gift to make men better and also the opposite, to make women better people. And, and so that's not to say that you can't live fully without marriage, without being married, because that's just not so. Jesus lived fully, and he was never married. But I will say that I think it's tougher to do it. And I think that's what Jesus was saying in Matthew 19. I'm going to read you verses 11 and 12. Jesus is talking here. He says, not everyone can accept this statement, only those whom God helps. Some are born as eunuchs, some have been made eunuchs by others, and some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. So what Jesus is saying here is there are three groups of people for which a marriage may not be the best option. And he outlines them. The first group he talks about are people who probably have physical or emotional problems from birth. He says, he says that right. He says some are born eunuchs, uh, so it's, it's a birth thing. Now, Carrie and I have a niece, uh, the daughter of my, of my brother, whose, whose little baby was born with some s- severe issues, and because of those issues, she will never be able to live on her own and never be able to have a family of her own. It wasn't their fault. It wasn't her fault. It happened. It happened at birth, and that's part of what Jesus is talking about here. Uh, marriage is not an option for her, and it happened because of a birthing issue. Secondly, he says there are those who have accepted what I might call a unique calling or a unique responsibility upon their lives. Jesus said it this way, they've been made eunuchs by others. In other words, it might be an only child who chooses to care for his aging parents rather than getting involved in a marriage relationship. And that might be an example of this kind of an individual. Then he talks about a third group. He says there are those, and an example of this would be the Apostle Paul, who chose to stay single that, that he might give full attention to serving God. And there are people today who, who um, just feel that that's not in their future as far as marriage is concerned because they feel they want to give all of their attention and all of their efforts to serving the calling of God upon their lives. Uh, In fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, 7, I wish everyone were single just as I am, but you got, the reason he said that is because Paul was convinced that Jesus was coming within his lifetime. And so to him, getting the gospel out, building the kingdom was the most important thing. And so he was saying, I I wish everybody were single and weren't encumbered by family issues. Now, we know that Jesus didn't come back in his second coming during Paul's uh, lifetime. So he went on to say, under the inspiration of the Spirit, but God gives to some the gift, I underlined the word gift because I want you to see it that way, 
the gift of marriage, and to others the gift of singleness. So notice that singleness can be a gift from God, and so can marriage be a gift from God. But the point of what I'm trying to tell you here is that if singleness is, is the direction that your life takes, I believe what Jesus is saying is you need an extra portion of grace to live a single life, especially to sing, lead a single life in purity, in biblical purity, especially in our sex-saturated culture. And so that's why Paul said earlier in the chapter, verse number two, because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. Now we know that being married doesn't cure infidelity. We know it still happens. But what God is saying here is that it reduces the probability, especially if the individuals in the marriage are committed to a loving relationship and mostly committed to serving Jesus Christ with their full heart. It reduces greatly the chances that infidelity may happen. So my point is the gift of marriage is given to enhance you as an individual. Now this is the caveat. If the marriage is a godly one, because we all know that you can be in marriages that are not godly and it can be hell on earth. And we don't want you to make unwise choices regarding any possible spouse. I mean, that's a whole other subject, again, I don't have time with. We want to protect you from making poor choices in that area, but we also want you to know that once you make a, a positive choice in this area of your life, it, it, it comes as a, a great enhancement of your life. I said it last week that Carrie makes me a better man, and I hope that I make her a better woman because what she brings to me, I didn't have. And what I bring to her, I, uh, she didn't have. But when we get the two of us blended together, it's amazing how much stronger we can be than we were by ourselves. And that's why married couples need to get, kind of, they, they need to get, uh, to know one another deeply. They really, really do. You need, you need to get to know each other's heart. You need to know what you love. You need to know things that are important because that's how you build the strength between one another. And, you know, speaking of really knowing each other, I read about this couple that was attending a marriage seminar and the seminar was on, was on communication. And guy's name was Tom and his wife's name was Grace and they listened to the instructor who said, you know, it's, it's essential, it's important that husbands and wives know each other's likes and dislikes in the marriage. And so the instructor said to the men, can you name your wife's favorite flower? And Tom leaned over and touched his wife's arm gently and whispered in her ear, it's Pillsbury, isn't it? I look at the ones out here that aren't laughing, and this may not be the church for you. You, you might need a real stoic dead thing to go to. This is the church that is alive. So God created marriage to enhance us, and so we have to fight for our marriage. Number three, marriage is the earthly symbol of a spiritual reality, the union of believer to Christ. So it's, it's, it's more than, than just uh, I'm getting married for a lifetime. There's a symbol that's a part of this. I'm, we're going to look at Ephesians 5. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It will be on the screen. And the latter part of that chapter is a whole section about marriage. 
And I'm going to read a little bit, and then I'm going to comment a little bit as we go down through. We're going to start with verse number 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Well, how does that say that Christ loved the church? It says he sacrificed his life for her. He died for the church. Paul says, Husbands, that's the way you're to love your wife. You're to die for her. Now, that doesn't mean you go out and get crucified. That doesn't mean that you put a, a gun to your head or something. We're not talking about actual death. We're, we're talking about dying to, to yourself in the sense that I'm the highest priority in my family. It's all about me, 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 me. You know, if you think of, if Jesus would have lived that way when he came to earth, it's all about me, 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 do you think he would have gone to the cross? If it was all about my comfort... My, 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 everybody liking me, if that's what it was all about to Jesus, would he have gone to the cross? I don't think so. He went to the cross because it was all about him, about, about you and me. You, he, he looked down through the portals of time and he saw you sitting in this church called Life Church in, on a Sunday in 2017 and he said, they're worth dying for. That's what Jesus said. Those people are worth dying for, and everyone before us, all the generations before us, they're worth dying for. And so Jesus put himself on the cross and became a sacrifice. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He loved you as, as, as an individual so much he died for you. And now he says that kind of sacrificial love needs to be a part of our families, so much so that you sacrifice your love your life, husbands, for your wife. Paul says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ died so that the church could, so that he could rather give the church to himself as a bride in all of her beauty. He says, making her glorious, a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. That's what he says there. I am making you a glorious group of people, is what Jesus is saying, without blemish of any kind, and you are going to be brought as my bride into the kingdom. Then Paul goes on to say in verse 28, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. And he says, no one hates his own body, but he feeds and takes care of it. And that's what Christ does for his church, which is also his body. He cares for his church. So the church is Christ's bride, according to this scripture. The church is Christ's body, according to this scripture. And then Paul goes on and he quotes Genesis 2.24, and he says, a man is united with his wife, and the two become one flesh, they become one, and he says, this is a profound mystery. Now back to Ephesians 5, but I'm talking about Christ and the church, and so you read it and you say, Paul, are you talking about marriage here, or are you talking about the church here? And the answer is both. He's talking about both in the same sentence. He's using marriage as an earthly example or a type of our spiritual union with Christ and, and Christ's love for his family, which is his body, his bride, this marvelous thing called his church universal, which is, is composed of all 
uh, believers across denominational lines who have made Jesus Christ their Savior and Lord. It's not about joining a church. It's about joining the family of God, which happens when you make Jesus the Savior of your soul. And when you make that decision, he becomes your Savior. You become a part of his body. You become a part of his church. And he loves you with sacrificial love. So because marriage is an example of Christ and his love for his church, Paul says in verse 33, each husband must love his wife as much as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I was reading some comments uh, uh, in a commentary recently written by Rick Warren. Many of you know Pastor Rick Warren about uh, that portion of scripture that I just read there out of Ephesians chapter 5, and I thought I'd just share some of his thoughts because I think what he says is so right on. This is what he says. That passage in Ephesians 5 is so deep But let me just say, this is the most profound meaning of marriage. Now, there are some benefits of marriage that are obvious and quantifiable, like these. What what it does to kids, what it does for women, what it does for men. And let me just pause here and say, when that is a godly family, what happens to the kids is is it cannot be compared to any kind, other kind of environment. When, it, when it's a godly family, what happens for women, what happens for men, is so blessed of God, and, and it blesses those people, and, and it's, it's just wonderful when there's a, a completed family around Christ, and, and the, you know, it, it just is a quantifiable thing. Now I'll go on and read from him. He says, they're incontrovertible, they're irrefutable, There are a lot of benefits to marriage that you can just look at empirically judging the scientific data, but this one, the most profound meaning of marriage is not as easy to grasp. It's harder to understand and appreciate how marriage reflects our union with Christ and our our relationship to him. Listen, no other relationship on planet Earth, none, none, including the parent-child relationship, no other relationship can adequately illustrate our union with Christ the way a marriage between a man and a woman does. Now, this is the reason why marriage matters. It's an earthly symbol of an, or an example of a spiritual reality. The oneness between husband and wife is an earthly symbol of the oneness that takes place between God and you when you make Jesus Savior of your life, Savior of your soul. So why is your marriage worth fighting for? It's because it is the greatest example of what Jesus Christ can do in the life of every man, every woman, and every child who comes to him in faith and receives him as Savior and Lord of their life. This is the greatest example of a changed life. We who were once so selfish and so focused on ourselves, when we do it right, the selfishness is ripped out of us in favor of a wife, in favor of a husband, in favor then of children who are born out of that marriage, so that it's no longer just about me, it's about them. And that is such an incredible expression of Jesus Christ to the world. 
Now here's what I want you to understand. When you invite Jesus into your heart, you're not accepting a religion. And you're not joining a church. You may join a church after that. But when you accept Jesus into your heart, you're accepting a savior and a healer. He saves us from our sins, the consequences of our sins. We're drowning, he throws us the life preserver of his blood. And we grab a hold of that and he pulls us in and we're set free from our past. But he's also a healer. He heals our sin-sick soul. He heals the guilt. He heals sick bodies. He heals sick minds. He heals sick marriages. He heals sick finances. God, when you make him number one in your life, it is amazing the transformation that begins to take place. So if you need healing for your soul today, Jesus is the healer. If you need healing in your physical body today, Jesus is here to be your healer. If you need healing in your marriage, your finances, your emotions, Jesus is the healer. All you have to do is invite him in. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads. I've had people say, Pastor, do I have to um, join this church to get this? And my answer to you is absolutely no. This is not about joining a church. It's about giving your heart completely to Jesus Christ and joining God's family. So for these couple more moments, I'm going to ask the ushers to keep people uh, from going in and out because the Spirit of the Lord is here. And I'm going to ask you to allow God to speak to your heart. Maybe your faith has been in a religion, but you know in the heart of your hearts that it's not working. You've got social friends through your religion, but you don't have peace with God, and you know it. You need to get right with God. You need to make Jesus the Savior of your life. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.